0: All right. Well, uh, as we just read, we are in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we've been since August. We took a little bit of break last week to talk through uh, the call to suffering, really, uh, that it is a normative experience in the life of a believer. And there were four types of suffering that we worked through. If you want a review of that, you can go to our website. But nonetheless, it served as a great segue into uh, this season of Lent. It is a season where we are invited to go into the wilderness with Jesus. If you remember, uh, the great text of Lent is Matthew 4, 1 through 11, where Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Spirit, where he is tempted by the devil. And many of us don't have a concept for that. That's not a category uh, that our world really gives us, that we are led by the Spirit and yet at the same time tempted by the devil. But if you think about it, if you're not being led by the Spirit, why would the devil need to tempt us? Uh, instead, it's when we sit ourselves out on the sideline that the devil goes, well, I don't need to really take care of them. I'm going to go get somebody else that's taking this thing seriously. So Jesus walks into the wilderness, and this is our call, our invitation, to walk into a dry and arid land of the desert. It's not a place where we would normally think that we're going to flourish. All of our normal comforts and securities are stripped away from us in this place, and yet it is, a, it is the place where Jesus started his ministry. And we have to ask ourselves, why did he do that? Why did he go out into the wilderness, into the desert, into a dry place, a place where where no one could find him, that he was alone, and it was where the devil, he knew, led by the Spirit, that the enemy would come after him day after day for 40 days as he fasted, as he prayed, as he was with his Father. We have to ask ourselves, why would he do that? Such a dangerous thing, such a discomforting thing. And the answer is he found something. He knew there was going to be something greater than pleasure, something greater than the comforts that he would find in his home in Nazareth or on the road with his boys that he has yet to bring in uh, to his circle. And that something greater is intimacy with his father. And that intimacy with his father would ultimately lead to the defeat of the enemy, first and foremost, in the, in the wilderness, Most people would say that that's really where he started his ministry, and victory was claimed over the enemy in that place, and it was just cemented on the cross. It's in that season that we are invited out with him, um, where we will, and we are invited, again, to remind ourselves of who we are. If you read through Matthew 4, what you would find is that the enemy comes after Satan. He says, if you are the Son of God. Lent is a season and a place and a time where we remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. It's also a place and a time where we remind ourselves the importance of God's word. Because the enemy would come after him, it is written. And Jesus would come after him, it is written. He would respond with the Bible. It is a place and a time where we would snuff out any idols in our lives which stand in the way of our worship. You see, this is... In this season, it's a beautiful season of preparation. That's what the sign says out by the sign is a season of preparation. It's a season of repentance, of renewal, of finding our ultimate rest as we return to God with our whole hearts, reorienting our whole lives and our loves around the life and the love of Jesus. It's a season on the calendar when we are invited to self-examination, asking the Lord the question, what do I love more than you? Jesus. That's why we started with confession cloths, and although they're in disarray now, it's much like our lives. When we trust ourselves to sin, they just get out of order. It's a great example for us, but that's what this is all about, a time of repentance and returning and specifically naming the things which stand in the way of loving God with all that we are. And so as we go into this dry and arid wilderness of Lent, we consider over the next five to six weeks these words that Kyle just wrote to us, and we're going to go slowly through Matthew six twenty-five through 34 over six weeks I had a conversation yesterday. They were like, man, we should love some expositional preaching. I was like, well, get ready. We're just going to repeat ourselves again and again and again over the next five to six weeks because we need to hear this message again and again about anxiety and about worry and about God's care for his people. We need to hear it again and again. You see, this is the reality, right? That Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. And he speaks that into our lives in this cultural moment in what has been our cultural moment for the last 12 months now. If you don't remember this, we preached one Sunday of Lent last year. One. It's all we got. And then we had to not be gathering with people. Corona hit us. It's officially been a year. Corona hit us and we were scattered and we were isolated and we've been that way for now a year and we have heard news reports and we have lost loved ones or friends or whomever, or we know someone that knows someone that literally hundreds of thousands of people just in our own country have died from a pandemic. See, that's our cultural moment. You add on to that the racial injustices of this last year, of 2020. And if history is any guide to the future, as soon as winter breaks, we will have more of that in 2021. See, it's not just coronavirus, it's also racial injustices that has been uh, in our country forever, literally since its inception. If not that, then social media, which is designed really just to use us as products to weaponize our likes, our photos, our status updates, our scrolling habits. It's just weaponized against us to hold us hostage to its own product where truth is trivialized and where we go to covet our friend's life, wish we had it, try it ourselves, and find out that's actually not what I want at all. See, this is our cultural moment, not just that, but also the politicization. Just write it down. That's a real word. You can trust me on that. The politicization of all the things. You heard it this week, have you not? Not only was it bad enough that we were stuck in our house with our pipes busting and no heat and no water and many people suffering and some dying, but now all of a sudden we turn the TV on and the Democrats are blaming the Republicans for being independent of the whole grid of the whole United States and the Republicans are blaming the Democrats for using wind and solar. And you know what I think about that? Who gives a rip? We're cold and we need water. But that's where they go. They eventually and immediately start to... Point the finger at each other. It's not a humanitarian crisis, this is a voting crisis, and I need to establish my base. If that's not enough, we have the crisis of misinformation. We thought that personalized cable news was good for us until it turns into what it is now this procured personalized version of reality that turns into QAnon that incites, well, what it incites. Are you anxious? I started this way for a reason, because that's the world we've been in, and I didn't even really talk about what we went through this last week. But yet, here we are, and it's into this over-anxious heart. It's into this overly concerned and over-involved, anxious heart that Jesus tells us, do not be anxious. What is our hope in this cultural moment? Well, first and foremost, this is in uh, your liturgy, but Jesus keeps us from danger with the command, do not be anxious. It is a command. And if it's a command, then that would seem to indicate that anxiety, or more specifically, being given to anxiety is a sin. So he doesn't command us to things uh, that 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 aren't sin, right? He's going to command us away from things to keep us from danger because he knows that's where danger is. It's sin. It's a place, a path to death. And you're if you're struggling with anxiety, and I'll bet you all of us have. I'll I'll go with, I'll go one. I was yesterday. I got an email at like nine thirty saying, "Hey, sorry to tell you, but you can't use frost tomorrow." And I'm going, "Okay." <laughs> well, this is going to ruin my Saturday. I don't know what I had planned, but this this is done. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just reminded me, hey, remember that sermon about do not be anxious for tomorrow? That's fun, huh? How about you apply it to your own heart first before you get up and start yelling at everyone? Be a good idea. Thank you, Holy Spirit. But this is where we are. It is a place where Jesus is trying to keep us from danger when he gives us the command do not be anxious and, and more importantly again th- this, this force of this verb is don't give yourself to anxiety don't just give yourself up to anxiety don't don't trick your mind into thinking well I'm just an anxious person don't put an identity statement on yourself that Jesus doesn't use for you he doesn't call you that well you're an anxious person so I understand no he says you're a child of God don't be anxious and that's totally different if we would again remind ourselves of the in, of the identity that we have as sons and daughters of God more will be said about this as we go on so instead of just don't be anxious he's saying don't give yourself to a lifestyle of anxiety stop the behavior or the mindset that's in you that's leading to an anxious lifestyle so my question in all this is like is this an empty command is this disconnected is it harsh what are you doing jesus And to understand that, i got to back up a little bit and and, and just, I think we can look at anxiety and go, is all anxiety sin? And as I've researched and researched, I go, I don't know that all anxiety sin. After all, Jesus was probably what we would categorize as very anxious in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's sweating blood about the impending danger of tomorrow. So I don't know that we're going to categorize every anxiety as a sin, but again, it is a giving yourself to this. So I uh, liken it to this um I like an anxiety to, to diabetes, right? So you have type 1 diabetes and you have type 2 diabetes. Type 1 is a genetic predisposition. Uh, that your body doesn't, doesn't, doesn't create insulin, uh, and so there's an issue there that is based on your genetic disposition. There's no cure. There's no prevention. There's treatment, which may include regular insulin shots or a pump that some people have to wear. If you guys remember, uh, well, I, well, that's somebody else's story to tell. I won't tell that story, but nonetheless, there was someone amongst us uh, before they moved away that they definitely had a pump that was a part of their normal, everyday life. That was how they treated, again, type 1 diabetes. There's also type 2 which is onset by being overweight and inactive with a bad diet. You see, that's the type of diabetes that can be treated, that can be prevented, which may include diet, exercise, all in an effort to lose weight and to get a healthier lifestyle. You see, anxiety is kind of like diabetes. Some of us were either genetically or environmentally exposed, and that would be your type 1 kind of anxiety. But Jesus is speaking and treating to the type 2, the type that we can prevent. But he's not ignoring type 1 anxiety either. The one that you grew up with, with an anxious mom or an angry dad... Um, that anxiety as well is the one that he is not ignoring. And I'll just say this, if you're type one, two things. Again, don't give yourself to just surrendering to a lifestyle of anxiety. Just resign yourself to defeat Jesus bigger and better than genetics or history. He is sovereign over it all. And yet meets you, it meets you right there in this sermon like he meets the one who is predisposed to anger. You remember that, right? You remember the one that said, well, uh, that we would probably go, you know what, I'm just an angry person. I just struggle with anger. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, but that's murder. Well, I'm just a lusty kind of guy, Lord. I mean, you know, I just like to look at the opposite sex or the same sex, and I like to lust after them. And Jesus doesn't go, okay, well, it's fine. You're just a lusty person. You're just an angry person. You're just a person who likes to make up your own mind about who you marry and how long you stay married. Uh, you, you, just, you just make up your own mind. You're just a liar. He doesn't leave us in these places in the Sermon on the Mount. If you look back at context, when he's saying, if you've been angry, you've also murdered someone. If you've lusted, you've committed adultery. If you lie, if you stay untrue at all to your word, you are are, are truly being evil, he says. It's the same as being evil. He doesn't leave us in this place, and he's not going to leave the anxious person in that place either. Dare I say that none of us would go, well, you're just lusty, and I understand your habits. It's fine. Not one of us would do that. Instead, there is a call here to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. And again, he's caring for us by keeping us from danger. So he says that to us. Don't just give ourselves to that, but also don't give ourselves to condemnation. Because even as I say that, we remind ourselves that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus out of Romans 8 verse 1. But he also gives us commands. And so it's not just enough for him to remind us that there's no condemnation. It's inside of that place of no condemnation that He also guides us and directs us on the narrow path, the path that leads to life, the path of discipline, the path of making every effort to add to our faith. It's in that path that we're on as followers of Jesus, of those who want to flourish in the kingdom of heaven. And so it's no wonder that He won't just leave us. In this place, and you go, but I'm just an anxious person. I don't know if you know me, Jesus. Yes, He does. He's authored your story. He knows what you grew up in. He knows what your future is. Isn't that great what Carissa let us in this morning? Of just like, He knows the end and the beginning, the alpha and the omega. It's who He is. And yet He's calling us to a better way, a better way of giving up control. I don't know what you wrote down, but that's what I wrote down on my confession cloth. Just control. And if you go through all these different scenarios, truly, what's the behind all of them is probably this desire and an idol for control. Why do we lust after another? Because of control. Why do we get angry at someone else? Because of control. Why do we want to divorce someone? Probably because of control. Why do we say one thing and then do another? Ah, I'm not going to control that person. It, it's underneath it all, and I'm not saying it's the only root idol. I am saying it's a prevalent one, certainly in the Sermon on the Mount, in Jesus's teaching, and the irony of anxiety is that we have an anxious, we have an anxious heart over the lack of the control of the future, and yet the only type of control that we have is self-control. It's the only thing that God commands us, calls us to do, is to have the fruit of self-control. I can't, I can't control what tomorrow will bring. I can't even control today's troubles. What I can control is my response to whatever crazy is about to hit me along the way. So in all of this, Jesus is keeping us from danger. We have to ask ourselves like what's the big deal? What's the big deal about anxiety? And again, anxiety is a sign of double vision. Not only am I calling you into the context of all the Sermon on the Mount, but I want to call you to the context of what I preached on a couple of weeks ago. When he says, don't, you cannot serve both God and money. And if you read back on that, I think it's like verse 20 here in verse 6, or chapter 6, actually it's 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And what we found there was that Jesus is intentionally using language that can be interpreted different ways, not just good and evil or healthy and bad, but also of single-mindedness and double vision. And what Jesus is reminding us when he says, do not be anxious, is that what he's saying there is that when we are giving ourselves to anxiety about troubling ourselves for the future, it is a mark of double vision. It is a mark that something in our heart is off if we're going to flourish in God's kingdom. This is hard teaching, but it is one where God is caring for us through some tough, tender words. Anxiety is a result from loving something too much. I just said most of it is probably uh, uh, relying on uh, or loving something, uh, that something being control, right? So if you see this connection between serving God and money, and then he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or what you not about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. We go, well, what's the therefore, therefore? And he's pulling back from this teaching about single-minded discipleship after himself. And what he's calling us to do is give up this idol of control. Give up the need for predictability. Give up this desire for for, for truly being able to predict the future because none of us can do it. We can all leave here and realize there's not one thing that we can predict not even making it through that light that's out here not even making it through over to the left or to the right or wherever we're headed one one moment of anxiety for me is whether or not that toilet's going to be picked up before tomorrow morning because if the principal shows up tomorrow and there's a toilet in her driveway i'm never going to hear the end of it that's the point of anxiety for me i can't control it but i'm going to call them and make sure i can try Right? This is all in us, and God is calling us, man, give that lifestyle up. Trust in my provision for you, because the voice of anxiety whispers to us, you'll never have enough. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. You'll never have enough, anxiety tells you. You're alone in this world. The voice of anxiety will whisper to you in the quiet moments, you'll never have enough. You're alone. You've got to take care of this yourself. But friends, in Jesus, we're never alone. We have a good Father who provides for us our every need. It, wasn't, it doesn't say He's going to give us what we want. Our every need. And Scripture after Scripture reminds us that He works all things out together for good. And the gift is, not for everybody. It's for those who love Him. Something special He's doing for you if you're found in Christ. All throughout Scripture, God is reminding us these things. And so what is the deal here? Jesus triples down on the command to not be anxious. And if you're an anxious person, which all of us are at times, we got to wonder, like, what is he up to? Because he says it three times in verse 25. He says, do not be anxious. In verse 31, do not be anxious. In 34, do not be anxious. And then in verse 32, he quadruples down and he says, if you are anxious, this is what the Gentiles are like. Now, all of us are Gentiles, most of us. There's a few of us maybe in here that are a little half-Jewish, half-Gentile. We'll count you. But nonetheless, most of us are Gentiles here, right? And he's not saying, you're like the Gentiles and that's fine. Instead, he's using language here of insider and outsider. And he's saying, it doesn't make sense to flourish in the kingdom and act like an outsider, one who's been given over to anxiety. Hey, look, I know most of y'all's stories. I know many of, I know most of my story, yet to be written though, that we deal with this as a church, especially over this last year. We deal with anxiety. We stay home. We go out. One or the other is probably driven by this desire for control, but nonetheless, Jesus is tripling down, quadrupling down for us, and I have to ask myself, and I hope you're asking yourself why. He knows the stakes. He knows that we will never have our eyes set on him. Isn't that what Kyle prayed? Man, I, just, I, have my, I have my eyes set on me and my needs and not on you, on what you're providing. He knows what's at stake. He knows that as long as our minds are full of scenarios and percentages and possibilities, we will never have our eye, truly, on the provider. He knows that our enemy's scheme is to kill and steal and destroy. And what does anxiety do except for steal away today's joy? Today's peace, today's contentment. So what's the cure? I'll put before you four cures as we end this morning, and hopefully it'll still be this morning when I end. Remember, Lent is a time when we reorient our lives and our loves around the love and the life of Jesus, and those who struggle with anxiety, which is all of us, Jesus is calling us to a single-minded eye, not not double vision on what I can do and on what he's going to do, but truly on him and him alone as we consider the birds, consider the flowers of the field. That's what he's calling us to do, to consider these things, but not gaze on every moment and say, consider, and let it be a reflection of how God continues to provide for us. There'll be more on that next week. He's calling us He's calling us to go far beyond storing up our own material goods, our own bottled water, our own, our own energy. He's, he's calling, calling us far beyond all those types of things in the midst of the week that we just had. And instead, instead, he is calling us to give up things like comfort and relief and status and significance and acceptance and power and especially control as we think about anxiety, especially during Lent. So the first thing we got to do as an anxious people is simply name that which is warring against our soul. And that's why we have and why we had these confession cloths, which is something special. We only do once a year. We'll see this. Again, anxiety robs you of today's joy by looking at tomorrow's trouble. And we lived through that this week. We lived through that, many of us. Many of us had busted pipes. Will, will the plumber come tomorrow? Will he come today? And when am I going to get water back on? And am I going to have enough water and enough firewood? And is my, my heater going to kick back on? Or when I do, when it does all thaw out, what kind of craziness is going to spray out of my ceiling like you see on the news? What's going to happen? What will be my lot? And we can rid ourselves and riddle ourselves again and again and again of all these uncertainties. And what God is calling us to do is to remember Remember four things, right? Remember that God cares about life. If we read this verse again, it says at the end, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Though we can uh, spin ourselves into a dizziness trying to provide for ourselves basic things like food and drink and clothing. He's even saying, no, no, that's all fine, but God cares about life. And if he cares about life, then he's gonna provide drink and food and clothing. So he cares about your life. And what he's telling us to do is to get our mind back on the author of life. That if we would get our mind on him, the author of life, the one that cares about our life, then all these other things will be taken care of. That's how he ends this section in the sermon. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. First things first, right? Remember God cares about your life. And then for cures, numbers 2 through 4, if you've got your Bible, flip over to Philippians 4. If you've got a Bible app, I'll give you time to face ID that thing. Click it open, because the last three cures here for the anxious heart come out of Philippians 4. If you're an anxious person, you probably got Philippians 4 on your wall, somewhere in there. you got it in your heart you got it on your wall to remind yourselves of these truths. And so I want to remind us of these truths as well as we end. Cures 3 through 4 are going to come out of Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. I was really tempted to just keep going in the chapter, but I thought better of it. Philippians 4, 4 through 7 say this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Always? Yeah, yeah, in case you didn't hear me. Again, I say, Rejoice. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God wants us to live a life that is one of rejoicing, no matter if he gives us a whole lot. Or a little bit. And that's the rest of Philippians 4. That he is Paul, the apostle, the great one. One we would look at and go, man, except for Jesus, he changed the world more than anybody. And that's true. But he learned contentment. He learned it along the way in his path. Through suffering and through difficulty. That we would rejoice in all things. So number two, cure number two. Cure number one was remember God cares about life. Cure number two is God calls us to reason. It's interesting that in probably one of the most famous passages about do not be anxious, he's also saying, use your reason. Let your reasonableness be known. There's other translations that say, let your gentleness be known. That's a double meaning there that we've got to learn something from. Let your gentleness, let your reasonableness. In other words, don't go around scorekeeping, because if you're scorekeeping with God, you're going to turn out bitter and you won't be gentle. So be reasonable with him. Let your reasonableness, reasonableness be known to everyone. Oftentimes, I don't know about you, when you have bouts of anxiety, but it's many times it's the impossible situation feels very near. I've run the numbers in my head, and all the percentages that I can go, it may be a 1% chance of it happening, but it feels like 100%. This happened to me yesterday. My son Uh, ran out the front door. My wife was not home. She probably doesn't know this yet, but here she is. Uh, my, My son ran out the front door and I was stuck inside talking to adults and I was going, where did he just go? And I just thought, okay, well, I'm a little anxious right now. I'd like to just end this conversation and run out the front door and figure out where he is. If you don't know where I live, I live on a somewhat, not like super crazy busy street, but I live across from the park. And if he's going out the front door, he's likely going across the street and he's going over to the park. But he didn't. He showed up like two minutes later on the trampoline in the backyard. I was like, I don't know how you did that, Houdini, but there he is. In that moment, I gave up my need for control, kind of, although I was still battling and not paying a world of attention to what these two were saying to me. But instead, just, you know what? The Lord's going to teach me this lesson one way or another. I've got to use my reason and go, we've taught that kid how to go across the street a thousand times. At some point, we're going to trust the Lord to take care of him or not. I got to let my reasonableness be known to everyone first of all to me second of all to anyone else because you imagine what would happen if I just go hey guys my kids just ran out the front door I got to go like he's like almost seven yeah yeah still concerned let your reasonableness be known reason reasonableness be known to everyone that's number two number three That we would remember that God is near. Look at Philippians 4. That not we would just let our reasonableness, just, you know what, I'm not going to say that word anymore. Let your R be known. You can read it. I'm not saying it anymore. But let your R be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. We must remember that God is near. Whatever storm you're in, the Savior is there. Whatever it is, right? Whatever fire that you're going through, remember, the friend was there. There was a fourth person in the midst of all that. He is near. He is here. He is caring for us even when we cannot see it. Absolutely. He is near. That's his promise. In Matthew 28, the end of this whole thing, he says, I will be with you even to the very end. The very end. When the world ends, I'm still here. When your terror and anxiety is at its height, I'm here with you in the midst of it all. And then finally, cure number four. Remember that God is in control. It's what it says. The Lord is at hand. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything. Again, there's that command. Why don't you just let me be anxious? No, no. It's, it's It's not a place of life. It's not a place where you're going to flourish. So again and again, don't be anxious. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then what will happen? And The peace of God, which is far above you even trying to figure it out, will guard you, will keep you from stumbling, will guard you from danger, will shepherd you through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what God has promised to do. If we would just, in everything, pray. Because God is in control. In everything, consider how much more life is. In everything, consider the birds and the fields. In everything, remember that our God is sovereign and in control of whatever happened uh, long ago that may have created a disposition to anxiety. He's sovereign over that. He's sovereign over the future. And He's good. He's good in this place. So it's not a trite answer for all of us to go into our neighborhood groups, to go to our growth groups, which I encourage you to all do. I think many of them are still meeting this week, for those of us that are considering that, all throughout uh, this area. To go to those places and confess, I, mean, like, I I, want control. I struggle with anxiety. I don't want to be given to anxiety anymore. And if someone tells you, I mean, let's give ourselves to prayer. Don't look at them like they're crazy. Don't look at them and dismiss them like it's some trite advice. No, this is the key that the Scriptures tell us to do, that we would give ourselves in everything to pray. Pray to our Father who will care for us, right? In everything, by prayer and supplication. Practice gratitude, because if we can be grateful about what He has provided, it will set us free about what He may not provide in the future. We give ourselves to a lifestyle of prayer, and dependence, and not control. This is a hard task before us. We cannot do this. We won't do it perfectly. We cannot do it without God's promise to be near by His Spirit. And so here we are, following Jesus, tiptoeing with Him out into the wilderness. Will we run back to our comforts? Will we run back to the things that we know that have provided some temporary reliefs? Or will we continue to press on with Jesus as he calls us to a life that many of us are going to do? That just sounds impossible. It sounds harsh. It sounds disconnected from my reality. But yet God calls us forward, dependent, pursuant to his Son by the power of his Spirit. So let's pray together. Let's ask the Lord for help. And as we're praying, the band is going to come up. And I would ask that you go over to here and grab your kids. We're going to come back and have communion together. So um, let me pray for us. And when I get done praying, I say amen. Go get your kids. Bring them back over. We'll do a communion. Father in heaven, you're good. You're good. You didn't spare Jesus of moments of anxiety and moments of panic and moments of displeasure and discomfort. You're not going to spare us of these moments, but Lord, keep us from a life that is given to anxiety. And for those of us that struggle with anxiety, I mean those of us that are struggling uh, deeply, Lord, remind them that you are near, that you are for them, that you're with them, that you care about their life, and that you're a safe place to run to. When the storm seems overwhelming, we know you're not asleep on the cushion even if you are, you're in control. Remind those that are anxious this morning. You're going to meet them. You're going to meet us right where we are. Out of control, in our minds, just things are swirling, percentages and worst case scenarios are taking over. Remind us of your presence. Remind us of your power. Remind us of your posture that you're here before us you're with us. Help us, Holy Spirit, convict us where necessary, comfort us, counsel us in the days ahead. Be with us now as we celebrate through song and through sacrament in Jesus' name.